Hello and welcome to Movie Culture. Today we are talking about Cars 2. Cars 2 was released in 2011 and is Pixar's 12th feature film. The movie was written and directed by John Lasseter. If it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, or if you haven't seen this movie, here's a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip on to the discussion. The movie follows Lightning McQueen competing in the first World Grand Prix, a three-part race set in Japan, Italy, and England that will determine the world's fastest race car and is sponsored by All in All, an environmentally friendly energy. Along the way, Mater is mistaken for a spy by British spies Finn McMissile and Holly Shiftwell. The three of them uncover a plot to sabotage the race, led by a group of lemon cars. When the race reaches its conclusion in England, Mater figures out that all-in-all founder Miles Axelrod is the mastermind behind the plot to sabotage the race. He started the race in the first place with the intention of discrediting clean energy and instead force cars to run on oil as he owns major investments in offshore oil. Mater foils the plot and saves the day, McQueen wins the race, and clean energy remains viable. What did you think? This movie has a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Every other Pixar movie is high 80s, 90s. The consensus on it is very different. And let me tell you, the consensus is dead wrong. This movie rocks. How dare people rate it 40%? It's so much better than Cars 1. Oh my God. It's better than a lot of movies. Look, there are some issues with this movie. There's some silliness. You already know how we feel about cars generally. But let me tell you, this is not a movie about cars. This is a movie about spies. And it is epic. So do we think this is a really good movie or do we think that spy movies are just all really good? No, I think that this movie is good. I think it's legitimately good. I like all spy movies. You know, nothing beats a getting the gang together sequence, but just short of that is a check out all the cool gadgets sequence. You know, you're in a room and it turns out that the walls all come up and here are all your little like cool things. This movie's got that. It's got the codes. It's got the disguises. It's got all of the elements, all of the trappings of a really fun spy movie. I think compared to the other Pixar movies that deal in genre, whether that's Cars 1 as a sports movie or Ratatouille as a gangster movie or Incredibles as a superhero movie, Cars 2 hits the specifics for its genre as well, if not better than any other movie, which makes it just a really fun genre movie. Yeah, I agree. And I and this movie was doing a lot, but I thought that they pulled it off. I thought I thought that they managed to bring in the spy plot and weave it well enough into this this grand race. It was it was really compelling. I was I was engaged the whole time. I wasn't bored. 
And I do feel like that's saying something because I think it's easy enough to throw in a high-speed chase and explosions and think that that counts for audience engagement. But along with those high-speed chases and explosions, there's real stakes, there's real plot movement, and you really do feel like you want to see what happens. Yeah, I was engaged all the way through. One of the things I really appreciated is a great part of a good spy movie is the map and the postcards and hopping from incredible setting to incredible setting and, you know, global city to global city. This movie does this moving from Tokyo to an Italian city, which seems to be a Monaco stand in. They're in Paris for a minute. They're in Paris. But that works really well with the worldwide Formula One series. I think they matched this globe-trotting spy movie pretty nicely with this global sports movie. Yeah, it all makes sense. I'm a fan. And I, I really loved all the settings. I thought the animation was so good. You kept pointing out how they drew landmarks a little bit differently to put in car parts like wheels and spokes and hubcaps yeah and those are really fun little details and of course the british spy accents are a lot of fun oh my god so michael kane is in this movie which (laughs) we did a ranking pretty early on of our favorite pixar voice acting and i did not know that michael kane did a role in a pixar movie and it's just a small part i don't think he gets onto the list of the main characters along with Ellen DeGeneres as Dory and Billy Crystal as Mike Wazowski. But I think he steals the crown from Samuel L. Jackson as Frozone for the best side character voice. And honestly, one of the best parts of this movie is hearing Michael Caine's very tight, staged British accent next to Larry the Cable Guy's atrocious twang. (laughs) Look, I have no time for Larry the Cable Guy. But that juxtaposition. It was really good. But man, I just, I love Michael Caine playing a spy. (laughs) It's so good. I need more of that in my life. Yeah, so this is just a really nice, tight spy movie. I wonder how much depth there is beyond that, though, because the movie... I don't think would like being categorized as only a spy movie and maybe at how little interest we have in Mater because the movie is really about Mater. Mm -hmm. Mater is the main character. Yeah. Mater is told by Lightning McQueen that he ruins everything. He doesn't belong in high society. At some point, Michael Caine tells him that he's acting like an idiot, thinking that he's doing it on purpose. And Mater comes to understand how he's perceived by all these people. We can talk a little bit about what that means, but the movie exists beyond its spy trappings. I'm wondering what you thought of the rest of it and maybe things that you had a little bit less interest in. So like I was saying, I think that everything is woven together quite well. The whole plot of this spy movie revolves around the idea of lemons and cars that need to be fixed up Mm -hmm. and mater as we see in the very beginning of this movie but also in the first movie is a tow truck which means that he has a lot of experience with cars that need to be fixed up Mm -hmm. so it makes sense to have this character in this plot it also makes sense with 
the friendship subplot of Mater and Lightning McQueen and the tension between them, because that is set up in the first movie already. One thing I really liked is that the spies at some point look at an engine and they don't know what they're looking at. And Mater says, I know this engine because he has knowledge from his lived experience that you wouldn't necessarily get in high society. It's sort of a legally blonde-esque twist Mm -hmm. where by looking at things through a different perspective, you can gain some interesting knowledge. Yeah, and that everyone looks down on this character, but he has a different kind of intelligence. And, exactly. and that's that's always a nice message. But the whole tension between Lightning and Mater didn't really impact me emotionally, just because I mean Mater is is fine for me. I, I don't I'm not anti Mater, but I'm very anti Lightning McQueen. He's just such a jerk. He was a jerk in the first movie. He hasn't suddenly become likable in the second movie. So it's hard to root for him. And of course, unlike what we were talking about in Toy Story 3, where these characters we've seen learn and change over a few movies, Lightning McQueen ends the first car movie without having changed at all. Just his situation changes a little bit. So it makes sense that coming into this movie, he's got the same sort of arrogance that he has in the first Right. And I think that one of the problems that I have with the Mater Lightning friendship in the first place is that I feel like they never in the early part of Cars 2 and in all of Cars 1 gave us a very concrete, real reason why they're friends. It seems like Mater really loves and looks up to Lightning McQueen and Lightning McQueen always kind of thinks Mater's like, in, like funny to to be around and likes that Mater likes him. He appreciates the adoration, but finds Mater himself to be kind of icky. Maybe not like icky is a strong word, but okay. but clingy and annoying. <laughs> the first scene of the movie, Lightning gets back to Radiator Springs after being gone racing all summer, and Mater is so excited and happy to see him. And runs over and Lightning's kind of like, yay, Mater. And then they do a high five and then they hang out for a few hours. And then Lightning's like, okay, Mater, it's time for you to go away now. Which, you know, makes sense. Lightning wants to hang out with his girlfriend. But I I just feel like most of the time we see them speaking to one another, Lightning is trying to make Mater go away. (laughs) The reason why Lightning McQueen treats Mater like he's clingy and annoying is because Mater is clingy and annoying. This is true. This is not a very good friendship. We don't have any understanding for why they are friends, right? In the first movie, they just become friends because Mater, like, knows how to drive fast backwards. Well, Mater decides that they're best friends and Lightning McQueen's like, okay. Yeah, but I don't understand why they are good friends. And I also think that Mater should shoulder a bunch of the blame for that. Yeah. Because when when Lightning comes back, Mater plans this whole day for them. And it's a bunch of activities that Lightning is not very comfortable with and doesn't really enjoy, but Mater really loves. And then Mater interrupts Lightning McQueen's date with his girlfriend. And again, like that relationship is also weird, but Mater should respect his privacy a little bit. Mater doesn't take into account what Lightning McQueen wants or needs. I was also thinking in that first scene 
when Lightning gets back and Lightning wants to go be with his girlfriend and made her sad about it, is just thinking about how that does not fit with the audience for this movie because that's that's maybe an experience that only really will resonate with teens and younger adults to have the experience of your best friend being in a relationship for the first time. Mm. And the audience of this movie is kids and parents. So you're just totally missing that bracket who might actually resonate with this experience. And that struck me just because it seems like Pixar is often very aware of their audience and does a very good job of layering on these these experiences that will resonate with different members of their audience. And here it seems like they just like totally missed who's going to be watching this movie. Yeah, I think it makes sense that it relates to parents also. But if it relates to parents, that's not because Mater's a friend. It's because Mater takes the place of the child that you want to just spend time with your partner. But instead, your child's just always there. <laughs> Which, again, is weird. Stop being so clingy. It's weird because, like, A, they're friends, not parents and children. They have no responsibility for each other. And... It's weird that parents could be having that experience while the kids next to them are thinking, of course, we understand why Mater wants to be with Lightning McQueen. Lightning McQueen's so cool. Why would he ever want to not be with him? Yeah, I don't know. But I agree with you that Mater is at fault for a lot of the movie. I mean, the the main reason that Lightning ultimately gets mad at Mater and kind of goes off on him and sends him away is because during McQueen's big race, Mater, who is supposed to be in the pit helping McQueen, just goes off because he believes that he's about to go on a date with a girl that he doesn't even know. Like, he just abandons his best friend to go on a date and also interrupts the race. Yeah. At no point is Mater thoughtful about what lightning needs or what lightning would get out of this friendship and i don't think that lightning mcqueen feels that way about mater either aside from maybe charity to be honest Mm -hmm. mater never gets to travel mater never gets to at the end of the first movie ride in a helicopter and lightning can provide these things for mater that he wouldn't otherwise which is a really condescending unequal disrespectful version of friendship it's very transactional and When Lightning is upset about Mater because of how thoughtless Mater is, that makes a lot of sense because Mater Mm -hmm. is being really thoughtless. Yeah, I agree. And just another thing about Lightning McQueen at the big race, Lightning McQueen has not been doing everything he should be doing as a star athlete. (laughs) Let's not forget, you know, Lightning, just a resident of Radiator Springs, whatever. No, Lightning McQueen is... At least we are allowed to believe the best athlete in the most popular sport in the United States, right? Lightning McQueen is the LeBron James stand-in in this movie. He's an overwhelmingly famous and important athlete taking part in an important international event. He's so famous, he sees himself as almost above this event. And if he is an athlete, At the top of his game, taking this seriously should be important. And I don't know why Lightning McQueen doesn't take this 
Grand Prix more seriously. And I was kind of disappointed in him for that. What what would he be doing to take it more seriously? Test driving the track, understanding conditions, scoping out his competition, <laughs> ensuring that all his parts are upgraded as much as possible. There's a pretty clear scene where we learn that Francisco, the Italian car, is faster than McQueen, at least on straightaways. So Lightning McQueen has got to be thinking about how does he cut him off on straightaways and how does he use his advantage on the turns and his strategic advantage? How does he use that to best his opponent? He should not be eating junk food, going to entertainment, just kind of hanging out with his buddy who's on his first road trip. He shouldn't be putting himself in this position to get distracted. Bringing Mater along, that's great. Mater, you go hang out in Tokyo for a few days. Have a great time. Join me at the race. We'll put a headset on you. Nice, fun, win, win, win. Lightning McQueen, as a serious athlete, should be focused up. And I don't like that he lets Mater distract him from the task at hand, which is being officially the best race car in the entire world. Yeah. Counterpoint, that movie sounds boring. (laughs) How does it change this movie at all? It changes one montage of them in Tokyo. Okay, so you're saying that Lightning McQueen is doing that all off screen because I'm fine with that. I just, I don't want to watch Lightning McQueen go fix his parts. Yeah, I'm saying that there can be like a splash montage of Mater having fun and Lightning being too serious. And, you know, we can learn that Maybe Mater's not doing things the right way, but he's having so much more fun and getting so much more value out of them. And that's how he gets into this crazy adventure. And also, that's how we know at the end of the movie that his way maybe is the right way because he enjoys Mm -hmm. himself more. But also, in order for us to bond with these characters, their decisions have to be, they have to make the most sense for us. They have to make sense in who those characters are. And Lightning McQueen not caring about racing and just being like kind of annoying about it Mm -hmm. doesn't make me feel like he as a character makes any sense. I think that's right. I think that Lightning McQueen is annoying about it. So that does fit in his character. You're right. If his character is annoying, spoiled car athlete. That's accurate. Then yes, he continues to be annoying and spoiled and not take seriously the things that he should take seriously. Yeah. But speaking of that montage scene, when Mm. Mater and Lightning are exploring Japan together, that's something that I wanted to talk about related to themes. So are we ready to move to theme? Yeah, let's do it. What did you see as the theme of this movie? So I think that there are a few, but probably the biggest one that the movie keeps trying to tell us is that Mater is fine just the way he is, and Lightning shouldn't be asking him to change just because everyone else is judging him, and Mater should be proud of his individuality. And look, that alone sounds good. I like that as a message. Yeah, the way you put that sounds pretty nice. Yes. However, the way that this plays out is in a travel sequence. So Mater and Lightning are Americans in a foreign country, in a different culture from them, and Mater 
has not done any research, does not know anything about Japan, loud and loudly ignorant to the culture and the customs, and Lightning McQueen is embarrassed of this, understandably because Mater's being rude in a foreign country. It feels like there is this idea that it is so horrible to ask an American to take a step back in a culture that they don't understand and to not be so loud and aggressive about what they don't understand. And it paints Lightning McQueen like a monster for asking Mater to do this. Mm -hmm. And I just think that in this situation, Mater's in the wrong. And this is not the way to portray this message. If If they're trying to say this message, which in itself is a good message, this is not the way to do this because in the circumstance, Mater's wrong. Yeah. As you said, the theme is to be comfortable with yourself and not to change. But it's also saying don't change based on the situation that you're in. And you should definitely change based on the situation or at least consider what the different cultural norms are. And, you know, this is true when they go off to Japan and later in London, also Mater's driving on the wrong side of the street, putting other cars in danger. But also in every situation, you need to be thinking about what is gracious and respectful for that specific instance. Right. It gets messy because they conflate asking Mater to be more respectful in a different culture with the people who are judging Mater in more of a class background way. Mm, yeah. And I I think that what they're saying really is a positive message for Mater in the class way of don't let other people look down on you. Don't make them feel like you're less than because of who you are and where you came from. But that can't just be put together with this, you can be yourself and disregard any other culture in any situation that you're in. Yeah, it definitely goes across two ways. And the first is definitely this point of cultural insensitivity, which the movie is trying to say that no one should ever look down on Mater when clearly he's being insensitive and disrespectful to another culture. Those are things he shouldn't be doing. And him not knowing that is willful ignorance. Yeah. I also think that it's notable that in this movie, because of the spy angle, Mater is referred to the whole time as the American Mm -hmm. because the British spies are talking about this American spy and they just call him the American. Especially when he's introduced, there's a question about which American are they really looking for? And he comes out and he's like yodeling and being super loud and obnoxious. And Michael Caine says, you know, is is the car American? And the female spy is like, oh, he's the most American. Right. And it is a funny slash sad joke about how the rest of the world views Americans, I guess. Um, But also uh, a commentary on who represents America in this movie. And I just think that's notable because it felt like a lot of what Cars 1 was saying about who is American. And it's these small towns, small town America, Mm -hmm. small white towns, even though, you know, these are cars. But and of course, the message of this movie that you shouldn't have to change no matter how anyone looks at you 
that is reinforced based on this American message that it's not just about Americans should be proud of their being Americanness. That's fine. Like, it's okay to be proud that you're from a specific country, but you shouldn't be proud of your flaws. This movie conflates those two. And if we're talking about cars being mocked and judged, we have to talk about the lemons. Oh, yeah, of course. So we find out about two-thirds of the way into the movie that the bad guys of this spy plot are actually all lemons, which Mm -hmm. means that they're all cars that are not working great, are kind of need to be fixed up a lot. They're the cars that Mater is so familiar with. because, Because they're prone to breaking down. Yes, And we get this whole backstory of why the lemons are attacking the race cars and and attacking clean energy. And the surface level part of it, the the straightforward part, is that their leader, the the lemoniest of all the lemons, who who is a mysterious voice that we don't know, has access to this great oil rig. Mm -hmm. And they feel like if they can get rid of clean energy as a fuel source, that everyone will be dependent on oil. Yeah. And then beneath that is the the emotional backstory. Women's feeling like they've been left behind by society and that they're not valued and that everyone else looks down on them. And now they will prove that they've been forgotten for too long and that they have their own rights too. And I thought this was so interesting because here are these this group of characters who feels like society has left them behind and are so have so bought into this this resentment and this feeling that there are these group of elites who look down on them that they have started committing acts of violence. They have become terrorists. Oh yeah. Wow. Do you see where I'm going with this? I do, but I want you to I want you to get there. I don't really know if this was so much in the cultural consciousness as it is now, back when this movie was made. Mm-hmm. But that really resonates today with the domestic terrorism that we're seeing and the motivations behind it and how there are these people who have so convinced themselves that they are the victims when really they are the violent ones. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. It is interesting. And I I was thinking it was. it's also very interesting because the way that this is set up is that there is this leader mm-hmm. and then there are all the people who are actually enacting the violence, mm-hmm. who, are, who are following and going out and harming these other cars. And mm-hmm. they are the ones that this leader is convincing, you know, we're all in this together because we have to show that we've been forgotten and and they can't keep talking down to us. But the leader doesn't care about that at all. The leader just is the one who owns the oil fields. Exactly. It's really, it's all about money and power. Mm-hmm. And he's using this lie to get people onto his side, but really he just wants power and money. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, uh... Yeah, and I, I don't think that Karsu was trying to make this really nuanced commentary on how terrorism and violence is bred, but 
and also how autocrats rise and mm-hmm. convince populations to work under them and commit acts of violence while thinking that they are the oppressed somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe, maybe this was intentional, but even if it's not, it's, it's actually really well done. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm like thrown back. Okay. I just think this is such a good point. And this <laughs> took me, this is the first time I'm hearing this point. I love it. I just want to go through it step by step, maybe through the plot in a really organized way to just explain this, because I think this is pretty heady. Mm -hmm. So step one, there is the leader of the group who turns out to be this billionaire car who has pretended to run on clean fuel when he's actually the owner of a huge amount of oil platforms And he is an oil baron, potentially Mm -hmm. the world's largest oil baron. Yes. And he wants to make sure that clean energy is ended forever, that it's marked so dangerous that people will never use it. They'll always be reliant on oil. Mm -hmm. He needs to do that by proving that clean energy is unsafe. So he does that by setting up this major race in which all the cars are supposedly running on clean energy. And then, using a specialty laser, he ignites the cars, forcing them to crash, so everyone can see on the biggest possible stage that clean energy doesn't work and and is dangerous. And will discredit clean energy potentially forever. Discredit real clean energy, because of course he's not actually using clean energy to do that. Mm -hmm. So he needs to get people on his side to perform these acts of violence. Yes. The way he does that is promising the people who perceive themselves as powerless, Mm -hmm. whether or not they actually are powerless, Mm -hmm. but the people who are most aggrieved, the people who feel like they are looked down on, he tells them that they can share in this money and power with him. And he continuously, the whole time, is talking about how everyone else is against them and and perpetuating this lie and building this resentment. Yeah. They, wanting the money, but more than that, wanting to cause pain to the people who they see as with power, who they dislike, and wanting to be in power themselves, commit this violence Mm -hmm. with the hopes of overturning the world order to put them at the top. Yeah. Even though it causes environmental destruction and physical violence and doesn't serve other people, it just serves their own short-sighted goals. Mm -hmm. This movie came out in 2011, so it's before the rise of autocrats and misinformation across Mm -hmm. Europe and America that happened, you know, five years later. But- The ideas and the way that these people came to power is within this movie, which I actually think makes it pretty clear that what what they were doing to rise to power is not a complicated thing. And it's not new. Exactly. It's something that Pixar draws out pretty easily Mm -hmm. and pretty straightforwardly in Cars 2. But yeah, it's a pretty clear picture of the danger of thinking that you have been maligned and 
whose interests are really being served by that violence. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't help the lemons. Right. It just helps big oil. Right. And on top of it, on top of this pretty nuanced commentary on autocrats and power, they just have a very straightforward anti-big oil message that I am here for. Oh, yeah. This movie, more than anything else, including being a spy movie, is anti-big oil. Yeah, they even say at the end something like, once big oil, always big oil. Like, you can never trust big oil. Yeah, that's true. That's a fundamental belief of this podcast. Movie culture, treating movies seriously and never trusting big oil. (laughs) And, you know, this is the hottest take of all, perhaps, but... In terms of climate change, in terms of climate change messaging in Pixar movies, Cars 2 is stronger than Wally. Wow. I mean, just this this nailing home this message to kids that they can't trust oil mm-hmm. and that there are a lot of oil companies that are giving these very false sustainable messages. Yeah. And these messages never are about actually serving the planet and sustainability. It's always about keeping keeping us dependent on oil and keeping them in power. Yes. Yeah. Look, the movie still romanticizes cars and the car race scenes are super cool. That's true. That's true. So again, as a society, we should move away from the romanticization of cars. But... If the way to that is by thinking that the only good cars are electric cars, that's a really good first step. Okay, Cars 3, they better be all electric. We haven't seen this one, so. I have no idea what Cars 3 is going to be I don't either. I literally have no idea what that movie is. My dream for Cars 3 is that they've all gone electric and either it's like the rise of buses (laughs) That buses are the real best cars or that the cars decide that they should all retire and never drive again in some sort of protest. Do you think that's what it's going to be about? We can hope. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not optimistic. (laughs) Well, we have talked about the themes and what we like and don't like. And we seem to have just transitioned into car content. So would you like to do... Your favorite segment. Car crash watch! Was there a car crash in this movie? Hell, yes, there was a car crash in this movie. And again, car crashes themselves are bad. But they also are a cheap stand-in for violence and chaos. And they should not be because car crashes are real things that kill millions of people every year. So car crashes are bad. We shouldn't be using them as like a funny little joke. They're bad. This movie had one, which ends our Pixar no car crash streak (laughs) at two movies. So there were two without any. And then this one had them again. We'll see what happens next time. This is the end of Car Crash Watch. (laughs) Thank you, Josh. (laughs) I am optimistic, though that this is just a one-off and we'll be returning to good news in the future because we will return to Car Crash Watch next time when we watch Brave. Not a lot of cars in Brave. Not a lot of cars, 
But are there things that clearly are meant to resemble cars that still crash into each other as a shorthand for chaos and violence? We will see. <laughs> so overall, I think this is a pretty engaging spy movie. Mm-hmm. It's got some poor characters. That's a serious flaw with it. But it's engaging and it's got some good messages about the environment, anti-big oil, pro-clean energy, and I think it really stands up. It's way better than I remember. Yeah. And way better than I expected it to be based on the really negative Rotten Tomatoes reviews and the critical consensus around this movie. I agree. I don't really understand that. Yeah. But you've seen this movie like a bunch of times, right? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I feel like I have been saying that I saw it so much in my childhood but, but the movie came out in 2011. <laughs> I know. I, I know. When you, were, when you were saying that for the synopsis, I realized that I have just seen this movie like four times as an adult. <laughs> I think one time of my own volition. And then once on an airplane, once at a doctor's office, and once while I was babysitting. And yet, for some reason, it just didn't stay in my head. So you didn't remember it at all, despite that. I only remembered the scene where Mater finds the Japanese toilet. I mean, wow, that scene. One thing about this movie, because it is pretty silly, but so engaging, I can understand if you're sort of half watching, you know, while babysitting or at a doctor's Mm -hmm. office, you aren't fully engaged in this movie. So you're just seeing these kind of silly, weird moments happen and not getting fully invested into it. Yeah, I feel like I've seen half of this movie multiple times, Mm -hmm. but it far exceeded my expectations and I had a lot of fun watching it and talking about it. And I just think people are wrong about this movie. You know, it brings up an interesting point compared to maybe some other Pixar movies or even just other general movies. How do we think about a movie that is exciting and engaging but maybe lacking on the thematic front or isn't necessarily very thoughtful? How do we put it up against movies that are thoughtful, but also a little bit boring? And how do we rank those against each other? I guess we're planning this big special ranking episode at the end, and we'll see where we match up different movies, the ones that we found thoughtful and emotional versus the ones like Cars 2 that we found really exciting. This is definitely a specific mood. But man, if you're in the mood, it kind of rocks. Yeah, we liked it. So thank you for listening. Would recommend. And we will see you next time. On Brave. Brave. Brave.